You're listening to a podcast from Reality Honolulu. For more information or ways to get involved in the life of the church, visit realityhonolulu.com. Thanks for listening. and welcome. If I have not met you, um, my name is Riz, I'm the pastor here at Reality, and uh, just excited for what God's doing, blessed and honored to be a part of it. So thankful to fellowship with you guys and get into God's Word and worship Him every Sunday. Um, if you've been with us, you know that we're going through the book of Exodus, and so we're making our way through it. Um, little chunks at a time, sometimes bigger chunks than others, but uh, if you have a Bible, please turn with me to Exodus chapter 12. Uh, Exodus chapter 12, verse 31 through uh, 13, 16 is going to be our text from today, and we're going to be reading from the NIV. As always, uh, we either will have it on the PowerPoint screen here for you if you don't have a Bible, or there are Bibles right as you walk in on the tables you can go ahead and grab as well. But um, for most weeks, due to the length of our sections, um, we have different people from the body come up and read it. And so I'd like to welcome up this morning a dear sister. Uh, her and her husband host and lead the Salt Lake Ohana Group. Uh, just amazing family. Let's invite up Michelle Lavasser. Come on up, Michelle. Read the word of God. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> All right. Okay, this is Exodus 12:31. During the night, Pharaoh summoned Moses and Aaron and said, "Up. Leave my people, you and the Israelites. Go worship the Lord as you have requested. Take your flocks and herds as you have said and go, and also bless me." The Egyptians urged the people to hurry and leave the country, for otherwise, they said, we will all die. So the people took their dough before the yeast was added and carried it on their shoulders in kneading troughs wrapped in clothing. The Israelites did as Moses instructed and asked the Egyptians for articles of silver and gold and for clothing. The Lord had made the Egyptians favorably disposed toward the people, and they gave them what they asked for, so they plundered the Egyptians. The Israelites journeyed from Ramesses to Sukkoth. There were about 600,000 men on foot, besides women and children. Many other people went up with them, as well as large droves of livestock, both flocks and herds. With the dough they had brought from Egypt, they baked cakes of unleavened bread. The dough was without yeast, because they had been driven out of Egypt and did not have time to prepare food for themselves. Now the length of time the Israelite people lived in Egypt was 430 years. At the end of the 430 years, to the very day, all the Lord's divisions left Egypt. Because the Lord kept vigil that night to bring them out of Egypt, on this night all the Israelites are to keep vigil to honor the Lord for the generations to come. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, these are the regulations for the Passover. No foreigner is to eat of it. Any slave you have bought may eat of it after you have circumcised him. But a temporary resident and a hired worker may not eat of it. It must be eaten inside one house. Take none of the meat outside the house. Do not break any of the bones. The whole community of Israel must celebrate it. An alien living among you 
who wants to celebrate the Lord's Passover must have all the males in his household circumcised, then he may take part like one born in the land. No uncircumcised male may eat of it. The same law applies to the native born and to the alien living among you. All the Israelites did just what the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron. And on that very day, the Lord brought the Israelites out of Egypt by their divisions. The Lord said to Moses, Consecrate to me every firstborn male. The first offspring of every womb among the Israelites belongs to me, whether man or animal. Then Moses said to the people, Commemorate this day, the day you came out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery, because the Lord brought you out of it with a mighty hand. Eat nothing containing yeast. Today, in the month of Abib, you are leaving. When the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Hivites, and Jebusites, the land he swore to your forefathers to give you, a land flowing with milk and honey, you are to observe this ceremony in this month. For seven days, eat bread made without yeast, and on the seventh day, hold a festival to the Lord. Eat unleavened bread during those seven days. Nothing with yeast in it is to be seen among you, nor shall any yeast be seen anywhere within your borders. On that day, tell your son, I do this because of what the Lord did for me when I came out of Egypt. This observance will be for you like a sign on your hand and a reminder on your forehead that the law of the Lord is to be on your lips. For the Lord brought you out of Egypt with his mighty hand. You must keep this ordinance at the appointed time year after year. After the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites and gives it to you as he promised an oath to you and your forefathers, you are to give over to the Lord the first offspring of every womb. All the firstborn males of your livestock belong to the Lord. Redeem with a lamb every firstborn donkey, but if you do not redeem it, break its neck. Redeem every firstborn among your sons. In days to come, when your son asks you, what does this mean? Say to him, with a mighty hand, the Lord brought us out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. When Pharaoh stubbornly refused to let us go, the Lord killed every firstborn in Egypt, both man and animal. This is why I sacrifice to the Lord the first male offspring of every womb and redeem each of my firstborn sons. And it will be like a sign on your hand and a symbol on your forehead that the Lord brought us out of Egypt with his mighty hand. Thank you. All right, this is the word of the Lord. Let's, uh, let's pray. <clears throat> God, thank you. Thank you, God, for your word this morning. And God, we receive it as the authority over our lives, not as man's word, but by your word. God breathed and God inspired, and it's profitable for correcting and reproving and, and training in righteousness, so that every man and woman would be adequately equipped for every good work. God, we receive your word as that this morning, and God, we ask that you would have your way with us, that you would speak to us, Holy Spirit, that you would uh, allow us to understand what, what is going on in your word, bring us revelation and insight, but then also uh, make it applicable. God, what does this mean for us here in Hawaii in 2019? 
at our jobs and our families, with our own lives. What does this mean for us, God? How should it change us and affect us? And so, God, we want you to have your way this morning. We surrender this time and say that it's, it's not ours, Lord. This is your time. And so, Holy Spirit, would you anoint me to communicate and speak your truths? We just ask that you would have your way. Um, pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So if you've been with us, you know that we jumped in to uh, this unfolding, incredible, redemptive story of the children of Israel, God's people being freed out of the hands of a a ruthless tyrant by the name of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. Um, Over the years, you might have seen, you know, movies and depictions of it, uh, but we've been digging in each and every week and we've been seeing this redemptive story take place. And uh, where we're at in the story right now, uh, for a few weeks, we looked at the plagues, um, these kind of weird, strange things that happened, but nonetheless, they were God's way of um, bringing justice to a very unjust society. Um, Each time, he would give Pharaoh a warning or uh, extend mercy or extend grace, but Pharaoh's heart became so hard that he over and over denied um, letting the people go. And so we saw in depth every week the plagues of what happened in, in, uh, in Egypt. And last week we looked at the Passover. That um, the, the children of Israel, if they killed that innocent lamb and they put the blood of the lamb over the doorpost, the Lord would literally pass over their home and save them. Finally, once and for all, the exodus of God's people is happening, right? That's where the book gets his name, the exodus, the leaving of God's people out of Egypt. This is finally happening, and it's been 430 years of brutal slavery. This is an injustice over generations that's been happening to the children of Israel, and it's finally come to an end. And what we see in our text this morning is that... uh, The little family, about 70 people, it's a big family, but that's the entirety of Israel came into Egypt, and now there's 600,000 men plus their families. This is the children of Israel. It's no longer a small family. It's an entire nation that's forming. Uh, The historian Josephus at the time estimates that along with the 600,000 men and their families, there was about 2.5 million people finally freed and on the move. I mean, this is, this is incredible. This is, this is dramatic. This is as big a deal as it gets. And this is where we're at right now. The, the exodus is finally happening. God has come and he's freed his people. After over and over and over, Pharaoh not letting them go, they're finally on the move. And what we see here today and last week and what we're going to continue to see is that there's a thread There's a thread that we're beginning to see starting here in Exodus, specifically with the Passover meal uh, that we discussed last last week and we'll see more today. This thread is a huge, important practice that really carries on through much of the Old Testament and actually into the New Testament. It's this very crucial and important idea to not forget the works of God, not forget Uh, the works of God which demonstrate the character of God that have been done in the midst of the people of God. Okay, let let me say that again. What the book of Exodus and and almost the entirety of Scripture is saying to us is, is how important 
It is. Not only for Israel, but for Christians, for believers, for humanity, is to not forget what God has done. Don't forget it. To not forget the works of God, which demonstrate the character of God that have been done in the midst of the people of God. And here's the deal. This is the main cause of all of Israel's problems from here on out, that they don't do this. They fail to recall. They fail to remember this Exodus moment. So over and over and over, God is reminding them, remember what I've done for you. And to be honest, this is Israel's downfall. They turn from God, they over and over, they get into a mess of trouble because they fail to remember the goodness of God in their lives and in their families' lives and in their people's lives of the, of, of their, of the nation of Israel. And we see this concept even last week when we read Exodus 12 a few times. Exodus 12 verse 14 last week, um, you know, talking about the Passover meal and the purpose of doing it each year. It says in verse 14, this is a day you're to commemorate. Why? For the generations to come, you shall celebrate it as a festival to the Lord, a lasting ordinance. Passover meal wasn't just a one-time thing. It was supposed to be a vivid reminder of what God had done in their midst. Verse 17 of last week's text also says the same thing. Celebrate the festival of unleavened bread because it was on this very day that I brought your divisions out of Egypt. Celebrate this day as a lasting ordinance for the generations to come. We see this thread happening and we see it in our text today. Everything is purposeful. Like down to details of what to eat with the meal and uh, how to cook it and who should eat it and when you should eat it and why you should eat it. Everything was purposeful and it was for the reason of reminder that regularly a whole nation would remember what their God had done for them and where they had come from. It was very important that they remembered their past to inform their present and carry them into their future. This is a very important concept that God is trying to, by every mean necessary, dig into them and say, you got to do this. You have to. Not only for you, but for your kids and your kid kids, kids' kids, and for generations to come. You cannot fail to do this. You cannot fail to remember. This idea continues to come up. Right? In our text today, uh, the end of it, Michelle just read it. Verse 14 of Exodus 13, in days to come, when your son asks about this meal, what does this meal mean? You're to say to him, with the mighty hand, the Lord brought us out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. When your son, years from now, asks, why are we eating this? Why are we sacrificing this innocent lamb on this thing called Passover? And why are we eating bitter herbs with the lamb? Why are we doing this? Remember, it's because God freed us by his mighty hand out of slavery for an entire people group. And what we'll see in the book of Deuteronomy, um, I'm going to read a section of it, right? Deuteronomy is the next book written by Moses. And this is after these same group of Israelites wander through the wilderness for 40 years. It's a bit of, bit of drama happens. So after the Red Sea, which we're going to get to next week and the parting of it, they wander in the wilderness for about 40 years. And it's, there's a lot of uh, 
sad tales in it. God, God works it out, but um, what happens is, is that post-Exodus, after the wilderness, almost in the promised land, Moses recaps in Deuteronomy what God desires of Israel as they're entering into a new land. There's a lot at stake. There's a lot of ways this can go bad. Moses recaps this in Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy excuse me, chapter 6, verses 1 through 12. This is a foundational text to, uh, and practice and truth with, with, with traditional Jews. This is called uh, the Shema, or the, the Shema Yisrael. This is a morning prayer that every Orthodox Jew would read and memorize. It was that important, and it is that important in Jewish culture that they remember this to this day. Deuteronomy 6, 1 through 12, Moses speaking to the children of Israel that got saved out of Egypt. He says, these are the commands... Decrees and laws, the Lord your God directed me to teach you to observe in the land that you're crossing the Jordan to possess, the promised land. You're almost there. You need to remember these. So that you, your children, and their children after them may fear the Lord your God as long as you live by keeping all his decrees and commands that I give you so that you may enjoy long life. Hear Israel. And be careful to obey so that it will be, go well with you and that you will increase greatly in a land flowing with milk and honey, just as the Lord your God of, of your ancestors promised you. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, and your strength. These commandments that I give to you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about it. Talk about them uh, to them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on your door frames of your houses and on your gates. When the Lord your God brings you into the land, he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give you a land with large, flourishing cities you did not build, houses filled with all kinds of Good things you did not provide, wells you did not dig, and vineyards and olive groves you did not plant. That when you eat and, and when you eat, you are satisfied. Be careful, look what it says, that you do not forget the Lord who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. And unfortunately, they are humans just like us, and they fail to remember. Over and over and over, the story of Israel is they get into trouble because they fail to remember the things that God has done for them. In essence, what Deuteronomy, excuse me, what, what Exodus, Deuteronomy, and Scripture is asking of us is to communicate and declare the works of God to our children and to the next generation. And what we see from Exodus is that what is to be communicated is a very vivid, dramatic, colorful story of how God moved in the midst of a group of people. What God is doing is he's telling us actually to be storytellers. He's telling us to be storytellers. And I know there's a lot of creative minds here and, and visual or photography or video or music. God's like, yeah, I created you that way to tell a story. This is what he's telling the children of Israel. He's just telling 
as Christians, believers, that we would pass on the unfolding story of God. And for millennia, uh, the way the majority of the world right, communicated and passed on any info, not just this info, not just the Bible, but any info was through an, like an oral history, right? It was many cultures through music or dance, right? In our context, for our home, one of the most beautiful parts of hula is, is doing this. Hula by nature is storytelling, right? Each movement is telling something different each way that I can't do it, but many of you can, I know. Move your hips, move your arms, tell a different story. They're, they're, they're meaning a different thing. There's a story that's being told. And prior to the missionaries coming, right, and developing a written language, hula was the primary way in which Hawaiians told their genealogy and the history and their social values that were important to them. And so hula, an oral history, an oral way of storytelling, was passed on to the next generation. And it wasn't just merely done with words, but it was with dance and music and song that accompanied a story, right? And knowledge and history was passed down through hula. Um, and hula is a beautiful and wonderful example of Hawaiians, right? Remembering teaching, uh, remembering, teaching, and passing down stories to their children, to the next generation, right? The kapuna to the keiki. That, that, that's what's happening. That's what we've seen. That's, that's, that's the beauty of it. And guys, we can look so much at Hawaiians and learn quite a bit. Like, if you, if you don't know, if you didn't know this, like, they take great pride in knowing their history to inform their future. This is such a key concept that so many of us miss. Don't even care about history don't think about it, don't know about it, what's now and what's then, always thinking there, barely knowing and barely caring about history. But there's so much value in knowing, remembering, recalling the past that affects the present and the future in huge ways, in completely formative ways. And so this exact concept that we see so beautifully in Hula right, as one example in the world, is this concept that God in his word is telling the Israelites that we see through scripture. It's a key to others and how to walk with the Lord. See, God desires for us to be historians. This is what he's telling Israel. You need to know your history and where you came from. You need to know what I did in your midst. God is, that's not just for Israel, that's for us. We need to know God's word and what he's done with his people and in the world and with our own lives, we need to be historians. And what I mean by that is it's so tremendously important that we regularly recall all the good things that God has done. We say that famous phrase, you know, like, God is good. And then you say, all the time. We say it. We know it. If you grew up in church, you know it a lot. But how often are we actually like, thinking of those good things and God's good character throughout our weeks, not just at the end of the service, say, amen, God is good all the time. You're like, yep, let me just go do my own life now till next Sunday, right? Like so often we, we don't actually think about and recall and vividly remember the rich story of God in the world and in our own lives. We are not to forget it. 
Right? We're not supposed to put uh, God on a bookshelf and all that he's done and just grab it when we need it. Right? Fire insurance, I'm not doing good. Tragedy happened. Let me go grab God and like, try to figure this out. Regularly, you're supposed to remember what God's done in their life. And the reason, the reason why it's, that's important, the reason why we should be historians and the reason why we should pass down God's story and the reason why is that God's past track record is our future assurance. Okay, let, me, let me say that again. God's past track record is our future assurance. What I mean by that is God's past track record of how faithful and loving and mercy, merciful and graceful he's treated humanity as a whole needs to be recalled and remembered for us personally. Because faithful He's been completely faithful. He's been completely reliable, and he's been completely full of grace. He's never not come through on any one of his promises. You can't say that about anyone or any person or any other thing. And so what it does, by remembering who God is and what he's done throughout Scripture, throughout the world, throughout our own lives, if we often recall that, then in the present and in the future, we're like, well, God's never let me down. He's never let anyone down, actually. It's not going to let me down now. Wait, he's never not provided. He's always been Jehovah Jireh, the Lord, the provider. He's always done that. Why wouldn't he do it now? What happens is, is we, we don't recall that. We don't remember. We live so much in the present and so much looking towards the future. Tragedy strikes, lose a job, don't have enough money in the bank account. Kids are going crazy. We can't, you know, whatever, you're, whatever it is. And we all of a sudden, it ruins us. Oh my gosh, God, how could you let this happen? Why aren't you here? What's going on? My world is over. And God's like, do you remember me and all that I've done for all of humanity? Not a big deal. I got you. But we trip out. We, 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 we lose it because we don't do exactly what the Israelites didn't do. And we fail to remember the Lord. Do you see how potent this is for us now? So in the Exodus account, the way in which God was telling Israel to recall and remember the Lord was by ways to prepare food and eat food. And there were certain practices with their kids. And uh, literally, he said, you should, you should put a sign on your hand and a symbol on your forehead. Right? In Deuteronomy, it says, you should tie my word and, and my promises as symbols around your hands and bind them on your foreheads. And you should write it on your doorposts of your houses and your gates. These were things in their life that caused them to remember. And, and many of us might think, well, that's super religious that they do all that. And, and I think it can get there. I, I think you could make a case for that. But the big picture and the big concept that God is putting forth here is that these are just helpful reminders. For us, I don't know if you're like a sticky note type of person. If you're a sticky note, maybe that's old school. Maybe it's, I don't know. Now it's all tech and digi, but... Um, sticky notes. This is a helpful reminder. We use these all the time to remember things. Well, that, that's just like putting something on our hand or on our doorframe. Or maybe it's a, a reminder on our phone, right? It's actually really easy to do that. I don't know about Siri. You know her? Siri? Easy? Rem For them, these were things in their context, in their life, in their regular rhythms of their life that would help point them back to God. So for us, what are these things? What would be helpful? What would, what would be in our everyday life? Maybe it's a sticky note on your mirror. Mirror, sorry. My, uh, 
my mom's from the East Coast, and so anyway, I grew up in Boston, going back, and I say a lot of weird words, like Mira and Miracle. I say, I, you guys know I say those weird? So anyway, Mira, that's it. Okay, so you're brushing your teeth in your mirror. I don't say that, but uh, like hopefully twice a day. So a sticky note would be helpful. Like, remember, God is with you. Bible verse. Maybe it's refrigerator. Maybe it's, uh, you know, buy your gas gauge in your car. Don't cover the gas gauge, go, because that'll, that'll hurt you. But what, maybe it's a sticky note. Maybe it's a reminder. Maybe it's literally because you're so busy, right? It's saying, Siri, after this really hard work meeting that I'm having, right, after I'm meeting at 3 o'clock, tell me God is faithful because you don't know the outcome of that meeting. Maybe it's you're getting written up. Maybe you're getting fired. Maybe you don't, maybe it's an interview. That's, that's an easy way to do literally what God's telling Israel, but in 2019. Maybe it's asking Siri, or, or just a reminder, to tell me, you know, after that doctor's appointment that I'm going to, that I'm really nervous about the results of that thing in my life, can you remind me that God is faithful and that he's the great physician? That's a reminder you need after you walk out of that appointment, good or bad. That's a reminder you need after that hard day at work or like, like Monday morning when you're dreading your life, driving to the office because you have like 40, well, maybe 40 emails, not a lot for you, 400 emails that you just, I hate my job, I can't do it. You need a reminder in that moment to remember that God is still good and he's faithful and he's got you. This is what God is telling Israel to do. And so for us, it may just like, we gotta be creative. And a lot of our life maybe is lived on the phone or maybe it's the internet or maybe it's just, so, so be creative. Maybe it's like coming up with cool Instagram posts or writing a song for all of us to listen to. But we too very much in the world we live in need to recall and remember the good things that God has done. Amen? It's so important. Or else like Israel, we'll go off a deep end. We'll turn to the right or to the left. We'll fall. But what we see here, it's more than just not forgetting that, that's one part, but it's also retelling and teaching it to the next generation. So on a very personal level, it's like with your own children, and on a larger scale, it's to the next group of humans after you, the next generation. These truths have to be carried on. And so the responsibility is for all of us that are living and a bit older to communicate to everyone that's younger to us these truths. So for application's sake, the questions to hopefully help align us with the text to challenge us, I want to give us some. So for all of us, what are we teaching the next generation? I I mean all of of you because the kids are over there. Or most of them are. What are we passing on to them? What, what is important in our lives that the next generation is getting from us? Like, right, like if I went over to the, all the kids, there's like a bunch of them, and I did a survey. Hey, the, the adults, your parents, their friends, aunties and uncles that you know, what's important to them? What are the top three things that you think is important in life to your aunties and uncles? And to your parents, what would they write down? It's super hard and convicting, but that's where we need to look. Because, like, what are we teaching them? What are we showing them? What are, what are we passing on? Is it how selfish we are, right? Care about ourselves and how much money and power and success. Is that all that they're getting, the next generation? Or 
Is it something of eternal value that points them towards the person of Jesus? Because, guys, what's most important to us will be the biggest thing that we teach them. Not what we say or even totally what we do, but it'll come out. What's most important to us, we'll live our life that way as parents and as aunties and uncles and as, as, as elders in the community to, to, to young kids. What's most important to us will dictate our own lives and younger generations will go, oh, that, that's important. That's, that's what's being communicated, right? It's so convicting, but in the best way possible. And this is exactly what God is doing here with Israel. So for me personally, I've got kids now. This is, it, when you get kids, it becomes so real because you actually have little humans in your house all the time. And so much of your role is to teach them not only about the concepts of God, but like how to go the potty. Like my son right now, he's just trying to learn how to go the potty. Like this is a whole teaching moment. Words and discipline and how to be nice and numbers and like, I mean, everything. You're, you're teaching. You're teaching your kid. So for me, it comes down to what am I communicating to them? Mostly, mostly without my words. What am I leading them towards? What are they seeing that's most important to me? And I hope that as parents that we could like really take that to heart and not just like walk out the door and go, oh, okay, well, that we would really like talk about it with your spouse and be like, well, how are we living our life? How is this communicating to our kids? Are we passing down like the statutes of God or not? So whether you're a parent or not, if you're older in this room, well, I'll just say everyone, okay? If you're auntie, uncle, parent, kapuna, whether or not it feels like it, everyone younger, our keiki, are watching. They're watching. And we, it's, it's, our, it's, our, it's our role to be more mature. The change starts with us. If we want to influence our kids and the next generation and the one after that, it's here. Like, it's not up to anyone else. It's up to this generation. We have a responsibility because we're living to pour in to the younger generation. That is what God's saying. That's how I designed it. That's how I designed the world. And it's a cycle, though, because think about it. We are to teach and remind our kids or the next generation of God's goodness of character and deeds. But what's the best way to remember something? Teach it. You have trouble remembering something, then teach it to someone else. You'll get really good at it and it'll really stick. So here, here's the trip. We're supposed to teach our kids, but in teaching, we actually remember it more ourselves. And so by teaching, we're actually being reminded. It's a cycle. This is what, from the Exodus story till now, desires. I want to charge us this morning to put proper reminders in place so that we could grow often in recalling the goodness of God in our lives and communicating it to others around us. Can I, can I do that? Can I charge you guys? Can we do it together? What I want to do in, in ending as we, we enter into a time of worship, which is perfect for today, is do what Jesus told us to do. So Jesus, uh, right before the crucifixion, at the Passover meal, in the upper room with his disciples. He instituted 
what we call communion or the Eucharist or the bread in the cup. We have it right here always. There's, there's a, a bowl of bread and there's juice. And most every, I mean, many churches do it. They celebrate or they partake in communion. And what Jesus did at the Passover meal that we just talked about with his disciples, he said, he's speaking of the crucifixion that was about to happen. I'm going to die on the cross. And this is communion. This is, this is the bread and this is the cup. This bread is signifying my body that was broken for you on your behalf. And this wine he had in his hand is, is signifying my blood that was poured out for you for your sins. And what Jesus told his disciples, what he tells us through his word, as often as you do this, do it in what? Remembrance of me. We have communion every Sunday, so during the second set of worship, during the three or four songs we're going to sing right now, we have an opportunity to do what Jesus said at the Last Supper, at the Passover meal, and there's, it's remembering what God did on the cross through bread and through juice. Exactly what's happening all throughout Scripture. Communion is another way to refocus our attention on the glory of the cross. Amen? Amen. Let's pray and let's worship. God, thank you. Thank you for the rich, vivid picture of redemption that we see in the book of Exodus. That you, that you bring out your people from slavery so that, which we will see, to, is, is to be with them in communion, in relationship with them. And that's the same thing that you've done for us. You've saved us from our sin by dying on the cross to bring us into a relationship with you so that we would walk with you, that we would love with you with all, your, all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And God, we want to, in this time as we sing these songs, as we spend a bit of time in your presence, worshiping you for who you are and what you've done, God, we ask that you would do some deep heart work in us, that we would, that we would make some changes so that our lives would reflect and be reminded of your goodness more, that we wouldn't just go through the motions, that we wouldn't just do the things because we have to, but that we would center our lives around the person of Jesus Christ. So would you do that, Lord? We want to we commune with you now, and we ask that you would be exalted and magnified and lifted up high above any other name in this time. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.